Today I welcome Kevin Mullally, Principal of the Marist School in Atlanta, USA. In this episode, I challenge innovation in faith-based schools, the barriers of teaching purpose in a secular age, role modeling change, and inspiring the millennial generation to teach. I want to talk about the Marist, and the Marist School is guided by what is called the Marist Way. What is the Marist ethos and how long has it been around? Yeah, the Society of Mary, the Marists, were founded in 1836 in Lyon, France, actually, and sort of spread throughout France from there. And from the beginning, they saw themselves as being called to be the presence of Mary in the world. So sort of simply put, the Marist ethos is to think, judge, feel, and act as Mary in all things. And so we take the woman Mary, and we consider her discipleship, the way she approached loving and bringing others to come to know and serve her son and to see how it is that we can bring that to bear in young people today. So it's an important part of, you know, the Marist School here in Atlanta, but Society of Mary as an international organization and schools they have around the world take that work up and continue it here even in 2021. How could a set of beliefs that have been around for so long still say relevant? Well, it's interesting, you know, the, the 1836 in France, we have the revolution, you know, not unlike today, you have political divisiveness, you have an increasingly secular pressure coming from the culture, and you have a general distrust of any number of institutions. So the Marist approach immediately sought to navigate each of those various cross pressures. And a huge part of what they did was lived. It was practical. These weren't things that were just sort of abstractions uh, that were to be talked about, but it was the way in which you, you approached your life and the way in which you interacted with others that really demonstrated that. And I think, you know, just as much today, when you look at what's happening in our world, you see a need for that, a need for people to come and to be able to be with, be in the presence of, to seek unity, especially, you know, amongst those who might otherwise be in disagreement and to bring together in that way. And a big part of what we do at Marist, I think, that demonstrates why not just relevant, but it's needed is we call attention to students to think especially of others, to, you know, get outside of just their own thought bubble, their own echo chamber. And we see a lot of danger, I think, coming from approaching life that way, try to open things up. And more than ever, I think we need uh, people around the world to kind of approach problems that way. A big part of what we do, I think, too, is we have the communal pursuit of excellence. Excellence isn't what you might think in terms of success. It's not about the outcome. It's about the individual. And that is, you know, how can we bring out the best in that human person? How can we bring out those gifts and graces that have been planted in their heart by God into full fruition? And the communal pursuit of that means we don't do it for ourselves and we don't do it alone. We do it with and for the sake of others. How can we make sure that our students know the world is bigger than just their experience of it? And it's certainly there's a lot more at stake in the world than things that are just for their own sake and for their own good. So I think there's a relevance to that, something that, that families continue to find compelling about that, I think, and interesting about that. And they want their children to to come to Marist to leave with it as well. And all of that's grounded in the vision of the founder of the Marist, Father Jean-Claude Collin, and, and the various virtues and values he put out as kind of the rule of that religious order. They speak not just to those who, who have made vows to it, but I think they speak to all of us who are living in the world. 
The Marist School has a six-year cycle of themes that help students, quote, live in the image of Christ as Mary did while facing the challenging elements of society today. How did this cycle come about and how does it work? Yeah, the cycle was in, in a big part, not surprisingly, the Marists, like most religious orders, are decreasing in numbers. And so one of the challenges to schools that are run by religious orders and really all faith-based schools in, in such a secular age is to figure out how to capture, how to communicate, preserve in advance those things that are particular to their approach to, to living out their faith. And so the Marists had great foresight in realizing that the lay people are really going to be in charge and are charged with continuing that and living that out. And so they sort of formalized that over a six-year cycle. We're now in our fourth go-round of that. So it's been around for about 20 years now and has been a focus of every school year since then. The idea is that we're a seventh through 12th school. You enter here in the seventh grade. Over the course of your cycle, you'll get to experience each of those themes in their various kind of topics once as you go through there. So, you know, I think that's a big value that we get to have is to be able to focus on those. This year, for example, our theme is formed in simplicity and humility. And so we talk about those two values and how they might inform the work we do at the school. Simplicity and humility aren't things you hear a lot about out in the world these days, especially given the last year, I think all of us in independent schools have had a call back to simplicity. That is our roots. Um, you know, who we're called to be is important and I think is something that people have enjoyed reflecting on and considering. We see the woman Mary as having lived both simply and humbly and take up that as our model for approaching those things. How can religious-based schools teach purpose in such a secular age? Well, it's interesting, you know, we would say in that way, we're countercultural. We're pushing back against the popular culture that is very secular and increasingly so. We see that coming into, you know, our school as it comes into all schools. I think one of the, the key ways to do that is just to think about vocation, what it is we're called to do. Vocation isn't a limited definition about just those who are considering a religious life. It's really just an understanding about what God might be calling you to do and the purpose you have in this world. You know, we obviously instill that through our theology classes, but equally important through our campus ministry office. We have students go on retreat. We have, you know, 95% of our students voluntarily attend a retreat during their time here because they're seeking meaning. Young people are hungry for meaning, and they realize that a life lived with purpose, once they identify that, is a life lived more happily. Um, there's a contentment, a sense of something that's compelling or moving you through life that guides your decisions and helps you continue to live that out more fully and completely. I think the big part is just naming that for young people. There may be a lot of things that tell you what they see that purpose as being. You know, in, in the Marist language, for example, uh, there's one of the particular Marist values, Father Colan always said, to say no, to greed, power, and pride. That is to push back against those influences in life that might try to convince you that the accumulation of wealth or authority or living just for oneself, that meaning of pride is really what it's all about. And so how can we speak directly to that? Well, service, you know, the way we approach service matters. You know, for a lot of schools and a lot of folks, service might be mowing granny's lawn. And we don't want to say don't mow granny's lawn. That's a good thing. But what we see is even more valuable than that is being in the presence of the poor, in the presence of the needy, in the presence of the vulnerable. It's a ministry of presence. Um, and students often, I think, see and start to understand purpose when they see need. 
when they see need in the world and they start to have a sense about how their lives and their gifts can help them meet those needs in the world. So we try to create and craft and, and curate experiences that introduce students to each of those things so that they're ready when they graduate, go out and meet the world. Yeah. And in what ways does technology pose a challenge to students trying to live their faith in a contemporary society? Because there's going to be many more pulls for their time, where they belong, what they society see, how they should fit. And surely this is a really tough thing for faith-based schools to get a balance on. Absolutely. And, you know, technology, you know, when you start to think that your value as a human person is measured in the number of likes or the number of views, you know, that might limit your sense of yourself. It might limit a sense of, of your own potential and your own potential contribution to the world. So what we try to do, what we can do, what we ought to do is flip that. You know, we ought to turn that upside down. How can we make technology not a pressure in that regard, but how can we turn it into a platform? empower students to use technology as a means to share value, to share story, to model what we want, and how can we use it to tell a much more powerful and meaningful story than what might otherwise be the, the easiest use of technology that students see and, and what might be the most frequent use. A new generation is transforming teaching and learning. The millennials are here. They are very different from baby boomers, Generation X, and what motivates them and what they need to be successful. Why should millennials want to teach? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think it's, it's wrapped up into that question of purpose. You know, millennials are, are driven by the possibility of transformation, social change. They want to be involved in making this world a better place. And we see that, you know, on the consumer side, you know, more and more companies have sort of this dual mission, you know, which is one hand product-based and putting something out there on this other hand, social change-based. Those are some of the most successful companies you see out there these days. Schools have that baked in. It's automatically who we are, especially independent schools. We've got mission and, you know, our mission to form the whole person in the image of Christ. That's worth getting up for in the morning. That's a real potential for change. You have the, the opportunity in the profession of teaching to form a young person, to form lots of young people. And that's an impactful way to sort of magnify, I think, what's an inherent interest in millennials when it comes to what they're looking to do in their work life. Yeah. And in what kind of environment will millennial teachers really thrive? Because they're challenged to have new skills, to be more mindful, to be more thoughtful, to be more environmentally friendly. Yet they're probably going into an education system that's a little bit outdated, that needs to reform, that needs to change. What kind of environment do you have at the Maris and what kind of environment do you think schools need to really retain and attract great millennial teachers? Yeah, I think central to that, you know, the millennials look for independence. They want to be able to pursue passions and projects that are of interest to them that they see as making a difference. You know, they're willing to put any amount of energy into that kind of work. And so how can we kind of open up our doors a little bit? And I think another pressure that millennials are under that we have started to see play out a little bit is, you know, on average, they're going to change careers, including complete industries, a lot more than any previous generation before. So how can we in a school, you know, allow them to grow and learn and sort of change even the focus of their professional life to match that thing that's next? You know, one of the questions I always ask in an interview is what's that next thing you want to learn? What's that next area you want to become an expert in? And then we look for ways to sort of tie their work to that. And that can be through clubs and activities, but it can also be just through classroom instruction. A great thing about independent schools is the autonomy teachers 
have in creating and constructing their own curriculum. So they can find various ways to focus or hone in on that next thing that's of interest to them, that next area or skill. The other is, you know, how do you get out of the traditional siloed approach to teaching and learning? The interdisciplinary approach is going to be, I think, hugely interesting for the millennials. They want to speak across those boundaries, across those barriers. They want to participate in that great dialogue of human understanding, history, invention, and creation. And so how can you connect them to each other? How can you create spaces where that kind of collaboration is invited and encouraged? And speaking of spaces, what are the physical spaces that sort of model that type of, of teaching and learning and allow them to explore that potential that comes with it? So I think we need to rethink sort of how we structure, um, you know, the work that, that millennials are doing within the guardrails of our mission, provide them lots of opportunity to see how to, they might see themselves best living that out. I hope you're enjoying the Inspiring Schools podcast. We're always on the hunt for guests with vision and a desire to share them. If you'd like to be involved or know of someone with great ideas at a school near you, please drop me an email to podcast at interactiveschools.com and my team will be in touch. Millennials are used to immediate personal attention. What steps should a head take once a teacher has signed a contract and is about to be onboarded into a new teaching job? The whole hiring process is really fundamentally different with millennials than it's been in any other generation. And a big part of that is once they're on board, once they've signed on the dotted line, you know, part of what we do is we sort of activate a chain of personal outreach. And so they're going to hear from our dean of faculty right out of the gate. Here's our orientation schedule. We can't wait to welcome you further. You're going to hear next from a department chair. A department chair is going to reach out and be in touch about classes and connection. They're going to have a mentor. That person's going to be in touch, uh, just welcoming them to Maris, get them kind of familiar with how we do things. And then other teachers who share the same courses or in the same department are going to be reaching out. So that relationship starts earlier than I think it's ever done before as a way to kind of bring people on board. And then you continue that over the course of the first few years of an employee being at the school so that they have those touch points. I've instituted recently just in office hours, you know, just making sure that my door is open, that people can come by on their own time. You don't have to schedule it. You just walk in and we can talk about whatever's on your mind because they want that personal connection, that personal contact. They want to have a sense, you know, they prefer kind of a flat hierarchy of things and they want to know that their voice is being heard and is part of what's happening in the decision making. And young teachers may also be interested in participating more of the digital innovation that you have at school, whether it's social media, whether it's media production, telling the story. They are digital natives after all. What role do your teachers play, the more senior teachers play, in sharing a Maris educational experience? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I think, you know, we see technology, as I said, just as a chance, as an opportunity to kind of share our story. But there's an interesting sort of counterpoint to that, which is, I would say the Marist experience is, is relational. That is, it's best experienced in person and together. And so the real value I see in sort of what we put out through technology is what can we do to attract, to entice people to come to campus, to experience the Marist difference when they're here. Shortly, I mean, you can't be Marist alone. You do that in community, do that together. And so you want to bring people into community so they can experience what we call, you know, the radical hospitality of our community as they come on and get welcomed here. In that way, our story isn't a monologue and uh, it's a dialogue. We want to invite people into it. We want to talk about it with others. We do that as much through, you know, welcoming guests onto campus as we do 
prospective families. There's nothing better than the personal experience. Humans need humans. You get to touch the field, to, to see a school, to see the people that are running the school, and also the kids that are in the school that, that maybe your kids are going to be part of. Do you think tech-savvy teachers should be able to post school social media accounts, tell the authentic story from within the bounds of, of educating without them being it feeling like it's an add-on or it's marketing? Do you not think it's a duty that they should own passionately the story that they are teaching and living because outwardly and when prospective families are looking inside they go wow this is genuine there's not marketing anymore this is actually happening at this great school and i think you know the word authenticity comes to mind you know how can we tell our story authentically what does it look like to tell an authentic story these days especially given the primacy of video and images in storytelling so yes, I mean, we've actually implemented a lot through our what had been kind of a small broadcasting club. These days, we're looking, how can we capture, um, you know, in documentary film, for example, the experience students have when they travel around the world? How can we capture, you know, just lived moments in the classroom and put that out there? How can we do that in a way that captures, you know, I think one of the dangers, if you focus too many on one generation over another or tech savvy versus not tech savvy telling that story, what voices are lost? Whose story isn't being told if it's only those who know the potential of technology? And how can we make sure that we capture all of those voices and that the totality, the whole story of, of our school is being shared? You're absolutely right. I and mean, it's something that Interactive Schools does a lot of. And we go in and we transform the way schools tell their story. And it has to be. And we invest and we see the real benefit of training and giving professional development to teachers because... You know, to me, it is a duty. They want their education, but they have to be relevant. There's no point in them teaching and bringing along the alpha generation who are coming through school if they don't really understand it themselves, because it's easier to bury our heads and go, it's all social media, it's all bad, it's too busy, I don't know what's going on, rather than going, you know, I have a duty here. If I'm going to be a really great teacher, I'm going to steward these young men and women to go out there into the world they're going to inherit from us which may not be great, by the way, wouldn't it be good for us to stand up and go, no, we're going to take part of it. We get it and, and empower them. So, you know, you're right. It's not about the tech savvy ones. The tech savvies are generally the trailblazers, the ambassadors that you want to kind of start that momentum. The real success stories are the ones that think they can't do it. And then you train them and they, and they realize how actually easy it is. But they built up this digital barrier because it's not something they were used to. And that's been a great thing this past year, by the way. It's forced that in schools, right? And it's forced everyone to engage with and to push the boundaries of, of how they use technology. And what I'll say is we saw many teachers who have been teaching 30 plus years come back and go, I'm going to teach differently now because of this. That form of quick, iterative innovation where they're trying new things, they're doing it differently. And what we've learned is there's better ways to do some things than we've been doing them for a long time over the last year. Is that something that you, you're sort of mandating as teachers have come back to go, let, let's not go back to the old ways. We're in a really perfect storm. Things have happened, but we've got to come back and we've actually got to move education the way we do things onwards. Is that something you're driving ahead? That's right. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think this is a great historical moment for education. You know, we needed a crisis to force us to this point in some ways to look at what really is going to be the most beneficial thing for our students. You know, when we say we're college preparatory schools, when we say we're preparing students for work and life beyond that, well, what does that really look like these days? And how can we make sure that, you know, at Marist, I'd say well, we talk about balancing sort of the 
traditions of secondary Catholic schools in the ways that we should with a transformative, innovative pedagogy. And we want to lift up both of those things. You know, we certainly see values in knowing how to scan a poem and, and factor an equation. But at the same time, we see a remarkable value in the technology that drives so much of this. We built out, we were fortunate to receive a grant from the Boisetta Center, and we built an immersive theater. We built a material design lab, as well as you know, broadcasting and podcasting studios, because we see the way in which all of those new technologies have a great potential. And from our mission, the great potential there is to cultivate empathy. How can we use immersive media? How can we use virtual and augmented reality as a way to introduce students to the voices and experiences of other people in 360 degrees in real time from around the world? There's just a remarkable, I think, kind of opportunity in that cutting edge technology to further what we call our students to do in terms of understanding others. Sounds amazing. And, you know, what you've done as well is that you've shown that you can take risks and you take risks with technology with going into the unknown, it feels a little bit alien, but we have to model that for our own children. And it sounds really exciting. And trying to balance, as you say, there tends to be, you know, maybe stereotypes associated with face-based schools, that you're not forward-thinking, that you're not innovative, you're stuck in the past. And, you know, what we're seeing and what you've certainly demonstrated today is that you're far from it. Your faith is rooted in great values, but the approach is very fitting for now, but actually for the future. And I think your kids are really in safe hands. But I want to talk about you. How do you go about telling the Mara story from your own unique perspective using digital media? Probably not as well as I should. You know, I think that because we put such a value on people being here, you know, I see that as a primary means of sort of storytelling and found that I've heard that in some ways. But again, over the last year, I, I too have had to adjust my means of communicating, um, communicating to current families, communicating to prospective families. And we've all gotten a lot better, I think, at that over the last year. And, you know, we put out, for example, um, a six-part series that dug into the various components of our strategic plan 2025, and it was a conversation series. And I sat down and just had, you know, one-on-one conversations with some school, you know, leaders here at Marist, as well as faculty and staff, and just dug into, you know, all those things that we're doing. That was a new model for the school. You know, we hadn't put together a video series like that ever. But I think it was a great way for us to be able to share with alumni, to share more broadly, um, kind of beyond just our own selves here, what we're doing at Marist and why we're excited about it and, and why we look forward to continuing on reaching those goals of our strategic plan too. So I think more and more, you know, we're turning towards that. Doing conversations like this and having the chance to speak, I think, are just a way for us to tell that story and to do that. So I, too, have been pushed beyond what I might have done before the pandemic. Well, he's come across very well today in the podcast. And I'm, I think you should be braver and put yourself out a bit more because, you know, it is always about authenticity. People don't buy the promise. They buy the reality. Your unique lens within the Maris is, is really exciting. Every audience, whether they're prospective families, whether they're current families, whether they're pupils, teachers, your alum local community, they all benefit from that because there are no barriers. Um, so hopefully we're going to see a little bit more of you on Twitter. Maybe we'll see you a bit more on LinkedIn. But for now, Kevin, thanks ever so much for being a guest on the Inspiring Schools podcast. Simon, thanks so much. And I appreciate all you do to help us schools continue to be inspiring and to help people see what's inspiring. So much appreciated. 
You can connect with me on Twitter, Instagram and via LinkedIn. Remember, keep inspiring schools. We need more future school thinking now.